Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. So tonight, I want to talk to you about a real estate. You go, really? Real estate? I thought we were here for a Bible study. Well, labor with me for just a moment, okay? Because in my study, I found some incredible real estate deals, okay? But none like the one we're going to study tonight. You go, what do you mean? Well, for example, did you know Walt Disney made an awesome real estate deal when he purchased a piece of property about 25 miles from civilization? Then the property was known mainly for shacks that sat upon it and cows that grazed in the field, right? Now, today, it's known as Anaheim, okay? And it's the home of Disneyland, right? Another great deal, guys, um, uh, another real estate deal was, was that of Manhattan, okay? This little island in New York was purchased by a fellow uh, by the name of Peter uh, Munet, the general director for the Dutch colony of the, of the New Nether. Munet purchased Manhattan from a Native American for goods to equally 60 guilders. You go, what is the, what, how much is that worth? It's really worth about 24 bucks. And you go, what do you mean? You say, talk about a real estate deal. I mean, he's the only man that could say, I bought Manhattan for $24. That's a great real estate deal, right? And then you think of another one. You go like, what? Well, the Louisiana Purchase, right? That was a great real estate deal, right? Thomas Jefferson actually purchased that from Napoleon for approximately $15 million. But it was comprised of 800,000 square foot miles north of the Mississippi River, right? And we're grateful for that purchase because it changed the course of American civilization. That was a great deal. So a lot of great deals, right? A lot of great deals that we like to find. And, and history is filled with a lot of great real estate deals. Hands down, however, the greatest real estate deal in history is found here in chapter 5. Now, you need to pay attention because I'm telling you, it's, it's going to just simply open your eyes to what's happening in the world. You go, why? Guys, tonight we discover the real estate at stake. Well, it's planet Earth. And what it takes to purchase it back. Now, now listen, not only the planet, but you and I. You go, well, how so? Well, let me just say this, okay? As we go through life, as we're doing our thing, here, here's what you need to understand. Satan, your enemy, tries to prevent souls from coming to Christ because he knows he's going to lose in the end. You understand that, right? You understand that as time begins to uh, come to an end, and when I say that, like, 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 here's the deal, guys. We're not only in the fourth quarter, we're, 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 we're in overtime, but see, the one thing that you and I, we don't know the day or the hour, we don't know what's going to happen, we just, we just walk by faith every single day, but Santos, listen, Satan knows how close it really is. And as that happens, guys, here's what he tries to do. He knows I'm going to lose in the end, and, he, and, and so what he does is, listen, he lies to people, okay? They listen because they're unaware of the eternal death awaiting them. Satan causes people to think that this world is all there is. You guys know that. Oh, well, the world is all there is. That's all there is. He's about to lose his job, and I'll explain that in a moment. 
And what he wants to do, listen, if you're taking out, he wants to take people down with him. When you and I understand, guys, God's word, when we understand Revelation chapter 5, okay, unless we understand Revelation, we won't completely understand the cross. Now, listen to me. You guys know this. I know you know this, okay? But Jesus Christ, God's son, paid the ultimate price leaving heaven. When he left heaven, he bankrupted. He took, brought everything down. He died on the cross for you and I so he could reconcile us back to him. He forgave us of our sins. He put a new heart in us. And then he walks with us daily until the day that we're going to meet him. What an incredible, what a, well, this is the gospel. But unless we understand what's going on in the world, we will never fully appreciate the cross. And that's why at Calvary Chapel, guys, we go verse by verse by verse by verse. Again, Pastor Ben, what real estate are you talking about? I'm talking about planet Earth. Everybody got that? Planet Earth. Well, who's the one who purchased it, right? Well, our Lord Jesus Christ is purchasing it. You go, what was the price? No, 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 more than money. It was his blood. Remember what Paul in his letters to the Romans said in chapter 8, verse 22, when he writes, listen, creation groans waiting the redemption, right? Creation groans waiting for the redemption. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Now, guys, listen to what Paul said. He said, when sin, when sin happened, guys, creation groans. Creation is wanting to be redeemed. He says, not only that, but we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting, eagerly waiting for the adoption. For what? For the redemption of our body. Do you guys see that? Why? Why, Alex? Because our bodies, as we get older, they're failing us. There's disease. There's, there's things that we're, I mean, it, we're just, so we eagerly groan. And when I think about Paul writing that and how creation, and it, it just, a story came to mind, and it was about a, it was about a preacher and his son. And I think about a preacher and his son, and he's preaching Sunday morning, and the, the sermon was on Jacob's ladder. Do you guys remember that? Where, where the ladder goes to heaven, ascending and descending, right? And his son is 10 years old, and he says, he says, Dad, Dad, man, I really, I really enjoyed that message. I really, really, really enjoyed that message. And then a few days late, later, he says, Dad, man, listen, I really enjoyed that message the other day. But I also, check this out, I also had a dream about it. I had a dream about the ladder going up to heaven. He goes, really? You had a dream about my net? That's pretty cool. What, what was the dream about? He said, well, in my dream, people were climbing the ladder. You guys with me? And as they climbed the ladder, they had to write with chalk on the steps of the ladder the sins they had committed. So every step going up, oh, okay, okay. And he says, this was my dream. And dad, I started to climb and I got about one quarter of the way up when I actually saw something coming back down the ladder. And the dad's like, wow, 
wait, wait, son, let me see if I understand this. Somebody's coming back down. I thought you said, yeah, to go to heaven, we climbed, and you had to write your sins down in each step, but then somebody was coming back down. Now, Dad, he, he said, now remember, this was only a dream. He goes, okay. He goes, Dad, the man coming down the ladder, it was you. Me? He says, I'm, I was the one climbing down the ladder? He says, what was I climbing down the ladder for? His son looked at him. He said, Dad, you were coming down for more chalk. <laughs> Guys, listen. If you're here and if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the blackboard has been erased. The blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, has prevailed has, has prevailed to deal with the great issue of sin. And Jesus, guys, our Christ, he, our sins have been erased and been removed. It was Psalm 32 that David declares, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. That's a good place for an amen. amen. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. If I'm not mistaken, that's one of, that's one of Pastor So's favorite psalms. He really, he really, he really likes that psalm. And it's, it's a great psalm for all of us because blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. Guys, whose sin is covered. And blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Let's hold it up there for a minute, guys, okay? Because there's three things that, that are going to pop out to us in a teaching atmosphere. You ready? If you're taking note, notice what he says. This is the psalmist, right? Transgression. What's a transgression? It's another word for trespass, okay? A trespass is when you trespass into somebody's yard, right? Do not, do not trespass, and we, we come in. So, so in, in our world, here's what it means. It means that we're going in, and we go, okay, and it says not to come in, but we come in anyway, okay? That's a transgression, uh, blessed is is he who's transgressed. Okay, so oh, I didn't realize that was a sin, Mel. I didn't, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, okay, I'll come back. But he says, but he said, whose sin is covered. That's a different word. That word there is harmatia. It's missing the mark. It's all of us. We've all missed the mark. It's an archery term where you pull the arrow back. You're trying to hit the bullseye and you miss it. Okay, so whose sin is gone. But notice, and this is a good one, right? Blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Do you know what iniquity means? Oh, no, no, no. It's far, it's far greater than transgression. It's far greater than sin. You go, why? Because it's, you know exactly where the line is. You know it's sin. You know it's wrong. And you do it anyway. That's iniquity. That's the Lord. T- and he says, listen, this is what it's all about, guys. This is what it's all about. Guys, we can be grateful for that. This evening. And as we jump in our text and, and we consider this awesome real estate deal, there are three things I want you to see and consider in our text. Okay? You go, what are they? Number one, I want you to see the deed of the property. We're going to talk about the deed of the property. It's going to blow your mind. The deed of the property. And then there's a dilemma in verses two to four. There's a dilemma that's going to be presented. There's always a dilemma. And then we're going to see how the deliverer prevails. Okay, so these three things we're going to look at. We're going to look at the deed of the property. 
We're going to look about at the dilemma. What's what's the deal with it? And then we're going to see and finish up. Okay. Now remember what we've been talking about, guys. John is in heaven, and there before the throne. And last week, guys, we saw an amazing glimpse of heaven. And and guys, and, and can you imagine? And chapter four, guys, was was all about the one seated on the throne. And chapter four was all about heaven. And and I could not it blew my mind when we talked, guys, about the jasper and the sardis. We talked about the emerald and we talked about the rainbow. We talked about all that was before the twenty-four elders, which represented both Israel and the church. We we talked all about this. And then Thursday. My wife shows me a text, and our our precious neighbor had, and I said, can you imagine what she's seen? Can you imagine? We just learned just, we just, we just scratched it. We just, we can't even imagine, but, but there she is. There she is. See, see, guys, it was so amazing. It was so amazing. Now, here's what I love about God. Now, listen, let me give you a lesson, okay? This is not on my notes because it's totally free. Do you see how God does things? He says, he says, write these things that are, right? And then he says, what does he say? He says, now I want you to write the things that, that, that are going to come to pass. He says, future stuff. But, but the first thing he's going to do, he gives us a glimpse of who he is. He says, this is the throne room, chapter five. Chapter 4. This is who God is. This is how beautiful it is. This is amazing. This is what it represents. That God is the first and the last. That we can trust his word. And you guys go, amen. And then in chapter 5, we're going to see just an amazing real estate deal that focuses on Jesus. But here's the, here's the key. Here's the point, right? Chapter 6, we start getting into some crazy stuff that's about to happen on earth. You go, what do you mean? Here's what God does. God says, man, he's, he's going to tell us all the good first before he's going to share the bad. You, you, you understand, that's how we should deal with people. You go, what? A simple management trick is that if you're going to talk to somebody about their job performance, you give them five positive things before you tell them what's wrong or what needs to be corrected. Hey, man, and what you do is you build them up. You don't want to just tear them down. But so many managers will just be, let me go in my office. I'm going to tell you a thing or two. And then you can't do this. And we, no, 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 listen, listen, let's take a, let's take a lesson from God's word. This is what he does. And so tonight, guys, we're going to see something incredible. So chapter five, verse one, let's look at the deed. You guys ready? He says, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Now, stop right there. To you and I, it's a scroll. It's a scroll, okay? John goes, he's already in heaven, and he turns around, and he says, here's a scroll, okay? You go, what, what, what is that? Okay. So remember back when John is writing this, they didn't have books. They didn't have like, he didn't say, well, I saw a Bible. He says, I saw a scroll, okay? And uh, everything was written in a scroll. Scrolls, guys, were handwritten in about eight by 10 uh, pieces of papyrus that were connected horizontally and they wound in a wooden handle. I wish we had one. I was trying to figure out where to find one. But they would write in three-inch columns. That would be a scroll. When you went into the synagogue, guys, you would unroll it like this you would read, and then you rolled it back up. Today we go, hey, turn in your Bibles, or open your phones, right? And here we are with our phones, right? Um, you need a Bible. 
You gotta ah the Bible. Yeah, I wanna I wanna highlight it and um, anyways, so this is a scroll. Now, normally, normally, now catch this, catch this. The scrolls were only written on one side, okay? The papyrus had a very smooth side in which you wrote, but it also had a rough side on the back side. You, you with me, okay? So you would write on the smooth side, okay? And we read here something very interesting. Notice in verse 1. Guys, look, there's something written in the smooth side, but it also says, and it was also written on the back. Wait a minute, who would write on the on the rough side of this? The scroll is supposed to be written. What's going on here? What's happening? Guys, well, we learned the answer, guys. We learned the answer in Jewish history. Now, stay with me, okay? You see, there was a unique scroll in which they did write on both sides. Guess what that was called? This unique document was called a title deed, a title deed to property. Okay? See, initially, okay, it would be written on the inside, the smooth, right, side, sealed with just one seal. Okay, let me, let me just, let me just say this, okay? If, um, Pastor Sof went to buy a house and he paid cash for it, Okay, they would give him the title deed to that house. He would walk with the title deed. If he was Jewish back in the day, he would have a scroll. It would be rolled up. It would, all the assets and the liability would be written on the inside and then it would be sealed with one seal. You guys with me? Okay. So that would be the title deed to the property. So how do you know that's your property? I've got the title deed right here. It belongs to, no, 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 that's my, my property. So it's like, no, it's, you guys understand what I'm getting at, right? It's the title deed. Who has the title deed? On the title deed, it said, this belongs to, and you guys understand. That's what it would show. Now, for example, if the owner became unable to meet his financial obligations, now again, we're talking Jewish, for one reason or another, they would have to relinquish the tile deed. Hey, Pastor Self, can you pay that? I can't pay that. Okay, hand it over. He would hand it over, okay? Now, he's Jewish, okay? It's not today. He's back in the day. That's, that's what would happen. I'm trying to paint a picture here, okay? On the back side, okay, I have the title deed. On the back side, guys, of the document, why would, here's what I would write. I would write his debts. And the reason that he lost his property and the requirements to regain it. Okay? Santos, you with me? So I, in the inside, this is what, this is the property. He lives at this street, da, 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 da. But he lost it. Why did he lose it? What were his debts? What was the reason he lost it? So we would write that, we would roll it up, and then we would seal it with seven seals. Now, if for some reason, Sof's financial situation changed, he could go to the elders of the city and he could petition to buy back his land. Hey, guess what? Ah, oh, we, I, whatever it might be, I've got, I, we ran into some money, had a rich uncle die. We, we, we need the land. We, we can get the land back, right? So the elders would go boom. And, uh, if he, re, if he met the requirements, the seals would be broken and he would redeem it. Okay. He would redeem it. That's what it means. But wait, Pastor Ben, question. What if you couldn't meet those requirements? 
would you still lose the property? That's a good question. Not only are you smart, but you guys are good looking too, okay? You go, what's that? Now, if you could not fulfill the conditions, it wasn't a total loss, okay? Because a relative of yours could do it for you. The Bible calls this the goel, the G-O-E-L, the goel, or otherwise known as the kinsman redeemer. Wow, isn't that amazing? Okay, so so again, um, I'm using Soph as an example. He, lose, he, he, he has this property, okay, he runs into financial hardship, he, can't, he can have a relative come and buy it for him. He doesn't lose it all, but there's, there's a catch, there's a catch, okay? It has to be a goel. It ha- it couldn't like listen. Soph's my brother and all, but we're not we're not blood. I couldn't go and go. Hey, Soph. Now, you, Ben, you can give me the money, but well, I don't. You understand what he's saying, okay? You go. What were the requirements? What were the requirements? He had to be a relative. He had to be a relative, okay? A kinsman. He, he had to be able to do it. What do you mean? Does he have the money and the resources to buy that back? And the third, which is the most important part, is he willing to do it? Okay? So Soph's got a brother over in Oceanside, and he says, man, that's my brother. He's a kinsman. Um, is he able to do it? Yeah, he's able to do it. He's, he's got some great resources. Is he willing to do it? No, he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to mess with Lubbock, Texas. He doesn't. So he has to be willing to do it. Okay? If he didn't want to do it, he didn't have to. You guys understand that. Now, the Bible, guys, it's so cool because here he's trying to explain chapter 5, but he's going to give us examples of the Old Testament. If you recall, it's the story in the Old Testament, the story of Ruth. You guys remember Naomi, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they lived in Bethlehem, which is known as the house of bread. Well, they hit a severe famine. And it freaked them out, right? World's going crazy. We have no food. And they go over to Moab. Well, tragedy strikes in Moab as well. Elimelech dies in Moab. The two boys that, that were born to them, they take Moabite wives, but they die in Moab. And so, and, and so Naomi's going, oh my goodness, can life get any worse? Can life get any worse? Are you serious now? And she tells her daughter's-in-law, guys, stay here. Uh, you know what? Listen, I'm not going to have any more children. I, you need to find husbands here. Well, the other one says, okay. But Ruth says, no, 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 no. She says this. Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. So they returned, having lost everything, Naomi goes back. Now, remember, they're in Bethlehem, so they go back there. They have land. They have land. Naomi can't redeem it. She didn't have any money. Her husband died. Her boys died. Life is miserable. So what happens? Well, Ruth, guys, guess what? Ruth goes out. She picks a field. Happenstance? I think not. As God directed her, she finds a rich man by the name of Boaz. Boaz, yeah, she would glean the fields. They would call the leftovers. But where's what she found out? She found out later that Boaz and Naomi were related. How does that happen? Now, he could perform the rite of Goel, the kinsman redeemer. 
Okay? He's a relative, and he's financially able. He's rich. He's rich. Now, here's the question. Was he willing? And the answer was yes. Why? Because he had fallen in love with Ruth. And so he saw this as a great real estate deal. He said, I can buy back the property for Naomi, and I get the girl too. Oh, it makes a great love story, doesn't it? So he does that. He does that. He gets the, the land, and he gets the girl. And the word of God, and I'm looking at this guy's thinking, this is the gospel. It's the gospel. Here's what God has done, and if we'll look at it so deep, God has showed himself real throughout every page in scripture. We just got to have eyes to see, Mel. We just got to have eyes to really just to focus in, and that's the gospel. Now, here's the thing, guys. I'm not trying here to bore you with Jewish legal issues of Old Testament history, but those facts and stories give us insight to what this document is. Why? Because it's the title deed. It's exactly what that is. And it's the title deed not to a piece of land, but to planet Earth. You go, wow, this right here tells us why the world is in such a mess. You go, what do you mean? Okay, listen up. Originally, the title deed to the planet Earth was given to Adam at the garden. Here you go. Right? Adam was given dominion over the Earth. And you remember the story. We were great. Chapter 1, chapter 2, but chapter 3 came, Santos, in Genesis, and that's where everything fell apart. Because Adam and Eve sinned, and when they sinned, guys, when they sinned, let me see if I can do this. They took the title deed, and they forfeited the title deed to the earth. They, that's what sin did. Okay? At that moment... That Adam said, see, it wasn't just like, well, they sinned. What, what's the big deal? They took the title deed, guys, and at that moment, guess what happened? Satan became the god of this world. Jesus actually calls him the ruler of this world in John chapter 12, verse 31. So let me illustrate it this way. Okay, God is the owner. He's the creator. Amen? But what happened was, is now, because Adam took the title deed and sin, he said, okay, here's the title deed. The title deed goes away, but Satan is now the manager. Adam forfeited that. Satan is the manager. He is that awful manager that doesn't care about any... Think about this. Can you imagine going to the mall and you have a horrible mall manager and all the shops are run down, all the windows are broken, there's glass everywhere, it's awful, it's ugly, and you wouldn't shop there, would you? What would you say? We need, they need a new manager, right? That's where you get a lot of these places, guys, where it says under new management. The old management was horrible. We got a new manager. We're going to do better. But right now, up from that point, Genesis chapter 3, guess who's been running the world? Satan. 
He's the manager. Now, because God's Holy Spirit is poured on the earth, he is known as the restrainer. So he restrains a lot of the evil. He restrains a lot of the stuff going on. But still, a lot of the things get through. Things like cancer is prevalent in our day because we have a horrible manager. We have a horrible manager. Things, I mean, guys, I mean, it's, 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 it's a mess even today. Guys, think about even, think about even today. He's a horrible manager. Now, now, let me see. Let me see if I can clarify this, okay? Do you guys recall when, when Jesus was tempted? Do you remember when he was taken for the 40 days, right? Satan took him to a high mountain. Do you guys remember that? And he says, all the kingdoms of the world will be yours if you bow down and worship me. Do you know what Jesus didn't do, Amanda? He didn't argue. He didn't go, nah, they're mine. You don't have any right. Jesus didn't do that. Why? Because he knew. He knew that Adam forfeited that. But Jesus also knew that this is a way to redeem the world back. So what did Jesus do? Instead, he said, and he declared, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In other words, the scriptures declare that I am to worship the Father and to serve him exclusively. Jesus said, I'm not going to bow down to you even though you're offering me the world. Guess what Satan was doing? He was trying to offer Jesus the world without the cross. Hey, 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 have I got a deal for you? Hey, have I got a deal for you? Listen, all of these are yours. You don't even have to go to the cross, Jesus. You don't have to find, you don't have to feel that pain. You're not going to get whipped 40 times, 39. You're not going to get whipped. Listen, you're not going to have nails driven through your hands and your feet. Listen, all you have to do is bow down and worship me. That's what he was offering Jesus. Jesus, guys, resisted the temptation. Catch this. He resisted the temptation of Satan to get the world without the cross, but Jesus didn't refuse the fact that it was Satan's to give. Now, please understand that the fact that Satan is the god of this world It explains why the world is in such a mess. Why? Because the Bible tells us, Alex, Amanda, that that it's Satan's goal to rob, to kill, and destroy. That's his resume. Hey, but what credentials do you have to run the world? To rob, kill, and destroy. That's all I'm going to do. He wants to rob you. He wants to kill marriages. He wants to destroy lives. He wants to break families apart. This is his MO. This is what he's, this is, guys, this is what, this is, you understand. You understand. Satan is, for for lack of a better illustration, Satan is like the captain of a ship that knows it's going down. You understand? He's like, oh no, it's it's, going to stink. It's going to sink. And here's what he says. He says, hey, I got a deal for you. All of you second class, upgraded to first class. Don't worry about it. Free drinks in the ballroom. Come out. Let's have a blast, guys. If you want to bowl there, if you want to have fun, come on up. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Here's what he would say. The party's on me. Why? All the while knows that, guess what? In just a few minutes, 
And what does everybody think? Oh, you're kidding me, right? I've been upgraded from, first, from second to first class. Everyone thinks this guy is great. And let us do whatever we want, not realizing that the ship is going to be down in 20 minutes. Okay, so reel that into what's going on in the world today. Think about after the rapture. Think about when the Antichrist... Now, listen, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says the spirit of Antichrist is already here. Okay, read First John chapter 2, chapter 4. The spirit of Antichrist is here, denying that Jesus is God. You guys are going to... You're going to see that more and more and more. The spirit of Antichrist is here. Do you understand that? I saw on a news feed, social feed, that a pastor that a pastor came out and exclaimed that Jesus was racist. And then goes on to explain. I don't have time for that, but you understand this was this is supposed to be a man who teaches the Bible, but yet now we're starting to turn the corner. Now we're starting to see things. What? What? Yeah. Sam, when I, when I realized that Satan has been the manager of the world, it helps me to understand why the world is in the mess that it's in. God has allowed the world to be in the hands of Satan for a time. You understand that? And what do we have? The result is, I mean, think about this. Wars, violence, evil, all of these things. All of these things. And the reason, guys, that we have not collapsed is because the Holy Spirit is actually restraining a lot of the evil You don't think the enemy of our soul, Mike, is wanting to bring in a full wrath? Of course he does. He knows time is short. He has nothing to lose. And what he wants to do is he wants to trip me up. He wants to trip you up. He wants to, he wants to just, that's what he wants to do. He wants to rip families apart. He wants to rip our hearts out. But the Holy Spirit is like, no, 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 no. These are mine. These are mine. These are mine. When the Holy Spirit is taken off the Gentiles, okay, you and I, we're raptured, okay? We're drinking coffee in heaven. But the Holy Spirit, the restrainer, is now off the Gentiles, whoever's left behind. That's a scary thought, church. Because, see, people will say, man, listen, you know what, man, when it gets close, I'll give my life to the Lord. I'll serve him then, or I'll serve him during the tribulation. I'll I'll get saved then. Guys, it's going to be unbelievably, I mean, I don't know about you, but I I just, I I think of the world today, I think of the world today, and I'm like, I can't believe we're living in this world. You remember, we, we longed for 2019 when things seemed really normal, but they really weren't normal. They haven't been normal since 1960, as we started moving towards... Globalism and the Great Reset, and we started moving towards all of this. But, guys, think about it. This is why. This is why when your neighbor calls and says, I have cancer. This is why when your best friend 
text you and say, hey, we're, we're, we're on the verge of a divorce. This is why there's violence, and this is why. This is why Lubbock, Texas, and believe it or not, is, is, is getting even more violent and more evil. The world is. The world is. So we understand, guys, that the world we live in right now is under the management of Satan. You guys understand that, right? This is why. So somebody goes, well, I can't believe why. Here's our question. Why would God allow that? Well, God owns, but it's under this, it's under his rule for a time. And yes, God could step in and he has several times and he's, and he's, and he's healed people and he's, he's, Kept the car from running over you. And he's, and he's, and, and many angels are fighting battles right now for your soul. Yes. But we, when we understand, okay, okay, so what's going to happen next? Well, here's the problem. Here's the problem. God is on the throne, but Satan is the manager. So what's the dilemma? That's number two. Look at verse two. He says, then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? Now, again, think about this. Think about this. Why does God need to reclaim the earth if he created it? That's a good question. Okay, well, remember, let's recap. Adam given dominion, Satan given the title. So what's the dilemma? You ready? On the outside of the scroll... The inside is the title deed to the world. On the outside, what was that, guys? These were the requirements to purchase it back. Uh, what? Yeah, the requirements and the condition for the one to seek and redeem the world. The problem is, guys, is you know what it says on here? Here's the price. Okay, what is it going to take to, to, to buy back the world and you and I? Um... Well, it's a life. It's a life that had to be perfect. A sinless sacrifice. That will pay the price of all humanity. That's what's written on the outside. Now, here's the thing, guys. You go, what's the dilemma? What's the dilemma? Well, right here in verse 2, the dilemma is the angel going, who's worthy? Who's worthy? Who, 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 who's worthy? And you go, what do you mean? Well, think about this, guys. Many people throughout history have been willing to rule the earth. You go, what do you mean? I mean, think about Alexander the Great. He was willing. Think about, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He was willing. Hitler was willing. Napoleon was willing. Even Saddam Hussein for a season was willing. So many people were willing. Many have said, give me a crack. I'll do it. I'll redeem the world. But the question is not who's willing, but who's worthy. Who's worthy? Okay? Verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Now think about this, guys. We've had some great men in the Bible. Think about this. Okay? They're in heaven. Who's, who's worthy? And they go, oh, nobody. You know? Nobody's worthy. Nobody... <sighs> but we've had some great men in the Bible, have we not? I mean, I would go, Abraham, he, he was a great man of faith, maybe him. No. 
How about Moses? He was meek. How about Samson? Samson was the strongest. Or Solomon? He was the wisest. Or David, because he was a man after God's own heart. John the Baptist was called the greatest. How about the Apostle Paul? He wrote, he wrote, he wrote one, one fourth of the whole New Testament. Or what about Mary? Mary says that basically she was highly favored among women. Why not Mary? Because all of them are not worthy. So what happens is John begins to weep. You guys see that? Look at verse four. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look at it. Guys, think about this. Circle that word for wept because it's very interesting. It means to sob convulsively, his heart is broken. It wasn't just, I mean, I, you know what I call it? I call it ugly cry. You know what ugly cry is? Is when, when, when your makeup is all over the place and you got boogers all over and just, you're just crying. You're just crying. That's ugly cry. This is what he's doing right here. Why? That's how sad he is. John at this point realizes, guys, that no one is found, no one in the world is found, and, and, and under the world, and, and under the rulership of Satan, and it breaks his heart. He goes, Oh my goodness, there's no one. What's. And John wept because no one was found worthy. And what would you imagine would happen if Revelation ended right here? No one's worthy. And, and here's the thing, guys, think about this. Think about what the world would look like if it just continued on like this. It's crazy. But praise the Lord. Why? Because the elder finds John and says in verse 5, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Now here's the hope, guys. Here's the hope. Listen, if you ever find yourself in what seems like a hopeless situation, here's the encouragement, okay? Don't weep. Look for the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He has prevailed. This is what he's saying. This is what we've been preaching all our lives. Listen, it's Jesus. He's the answer to every problem that we have. He's the answer to every emotional problem, everything that's going on in our lives. He's definitely the answer to our sin problem. He's the answer to the things we struggle with, if we'll give it to him. He's the answer. Alex, why don't more people run to him? He's the answer. He's the, he's the world. He's the answer. In a world full of hopeless, and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, we're, we're preaching Jesus, and people are like, eh, I might work for you as a crutch, but for me, I'm, oh, I'll take care of my own problems. I'm thick-skinned. I can do it. No, no, no. He's the answer. Listen, he's the answer for marriages that are falling apart. He's the answer if they'll both, if they'll both walk humbly and submit before him. Listen, he's the answer for the drug addict. He's the answer for the alcoholic. He's the answer for the gambler who can't seem to, to, to get a hold of that. He's the answer for, for those that are sexually addicted. He's the answer. 
That's what he just said. Guys, let me just say this thing. He's the answer when you don't know what to do. John, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Here's the deliverer. He has prevailed. He can open the scroll. Guys, he's the only one that can loosen that of those seven seals. So, so again, think about this. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, there are two terms used in the Old Testament for the Messiah. Now, I draw your attentions to the names of the only one who can open the scroll. Why? And I, Because I want you to see, he's the one who can redeem the earth and loosen its soul. How so? Well, the first name, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay, It was predicted in the book of Genesis that the Messiah would come from the Lion or from the tribe of Judah. The Lion is a sign of Judah, so it points to Jesus. He says, he's the root of David. This is found in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Another prophecy concerning the Messiah. So we see in the first, first we see in verse 5 that the Messiah has prevailed to open the scroll. So John is told not to weep because the lion of the tribe of Judah is found worthy. So what does John do? He does what you and I would do. He turns to see the lion. Who's worthy to open the scroll? Don't worry, don't worry, John. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. So he turns, expecting, Mel, he's expecting to see the lion of the tribe of Judah. But notice what he sees instead. Look at verse 6. We're told that he sees a lamb as though it had been slain. And I look, John says, and behold, in the midst of the throne, four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood... A lamb? A lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spears of God sent into all the world. What? I'm expecting to see the tribe, the lion. Come on. But he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. But not only just a lamb, he sees a lamb that had been slain. Guys, think about this. John the Baptist, if you remember, he saw Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. And what did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember, the Jews would bring a lamb to the temple to atone for their sins. See, the lamb is used 26 times in the book of Revelation, but it all speaks towards Jesus. Now, think about this. I want you to think about it. Put your thinking caps on, guys. John walked with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He saw him. He slept with him. He ate with him. I mean, he put his head on his, on his, he was always forever leaning on Jesus. And he's turning to, I mean, he knows Old Testament, so he turns to see, hoping to see Jesus, and he sees this lamb that was slain. In the midst of a beautiful throne that we saw, guys, it gives us an indication that heaven, Jesus is still going to bear the marks of his crucifixion. The price he paid for us, 
But what I find interesting is the only man-made marks in heaven are the ones that we made on Jesus when he was crucified. We're going to see the marks, guys, on his, on his hands and his feet. The scars from the crown of thorns that was on his head. And I bet our reaction is going to be, oh, man. My sin brought that on him. But I believe that there, we're going to see that as a simple reminder that speaks for eternity of his great love for us and his victory. That's what we're going to see. It's also a reminder, guys, that he was able to purchase us and he was able to redeem the world. But John sees something else. He sees seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits. You guys remember, right? A lamb, a lamb think about this, a lamb with seven horns. Now, now, here's what's interesting. Okay, seven horns, seven eyes, and seven spirits. Now, the number seven is what? The completion, the number of completion. And horns always represent authority. So what's he saying? He's complete or perfect in authority. And you could write this down. This is om, omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He says he also saw seven eyes. And this speaks of basically what? Insight. He knows all. He sees all. Perfect or complete. He knows. This is not. He's not only omnipotent, but he's omniscient. He can see. He knows all. And then he says, and then, of course, we talked about this, the seven spirits of God, right? He's talking about um, Isaiah 11.2, a sevenfold working of his Holy Spirit represents perfect and complete aspect of the Holy Spirit in his life. What does that mean? He's omnipresent because he lives in us. So he turns to see the lamb and it's one that's slain. And he goes, wow, omnipotent, omniscient. And he goes, not only that, but he's omnipresent. Then he came, look at verse 7, and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. John has encouraged that the lamb is worthy to take the scroll and to loosen its seals. Okay, this redemption could happen. Okay, this is what's happening. He takes it. He's the only one. He's the only one. Now, As we close, okay, as we close, remember earlier we talked about the kinsman redeemer, okay? I want to take a look at Jesus, the Messiah, and ask ourselves, does he meet the qualifications to be our goel, our kinsman redeemer? Okay, let's look at that real quick, okay? You go, number one, is he related? Is he related? Jesus Christ emptied himself to become a man, a blood relative of the human race. The virgin birth was necessary for redemption. If Jesus was divine only, he could not redeem us. Why? Because he had to be related to us. Had to. Consider Philippians 2.5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So he had to. He had to. He was, he was a relative. 
Because Jesus was a man, Santos, he knows exactly what we go through. He knows the temptations and he knows the struggles, and that's why we can run to him. So he's, he's definitely related, but he's also able. How so? Well, Jesus, guys, purchased us with his blood on the cross when he said, is it, it is finished. And what he said is the debt was paid. Did he meet the requirements? He sure did. Listen, listen to what, to what the redeemed sing. Look at, look at. It says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song in saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. Hallelujah. Think about that. That's the song of the redeemed. Yeah. Yeah, you are worthy. Was he willing? Was he willing? Well, Jesus gave his life, guys. Nobody took it from him. John chapter 10, verse 7, 17 and 18 says, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. He was willing That's why it's important for us to be willing to come to him. He won't force himself on us. He won't make you change. You have to be willing. He was willing, all right, but the question is why? The answer? Because he loves you. The Bible says, guys, that, that Christ demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners. That's love. He didn't love you at your worst, at your best. He loved you at your worst. He didn't wait for you to be perfect. He loved you now. He redeemed us now. You know what that does for us, Rosa? It makes us want to love him even more. You see, it's not a forced, well, God loves you, so you need to, okay, uncle, I love you, Lord, gosh. You realize what he's done. And even at your worst, even when you couldn't lift your head, even when the devil tried to kill you, he loved you. That's love. And the Bible says that he, we love him because he first loved us. You see, that's Christianity, guys. That's Christianity. Christianity is really, really simple. You just need to love Jesus. You know what he wants, Sophie? He wants your heart. That's all he wants. That's all he's ever wanted. He just wants your heart. He's not putting rules or regulations on you. He's not saying you have to do this, have to do that. He just wants your heart. He just wants your heart.
you're watching online, he just wants your heart. Can we give him our hearts tonight? Can we say yes, Lord? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, guys. Um, We don't have time to finish the last four verses. If you'll just read it on your own, you can see it's amazing. It's amazing. But I want to end with this. God just wants your heart. He'll take care of the rest. No, 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 no. See, I have to get, I have to, I have to get good before I come to him. I have to, no, he just wants your heart. And, and that's the beauty because you go, well, Ben, I'm saved. Well, then the thing about it is that God just wants your heart. You're already saved, so, so, so just give him your heart. Let him do that work in you. And when he begins to do that work in you, don't fight it. Say, okay, Lord, this is you. This is you. I'm ready. I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more of you. Can we do that tonight? Can we give him our heart? Can we say, yes, Lord, my heart belongs to you? You see, I've given my heart to a lot of different things. But I really want to say this, Mike. I really want to say I love God with my whole heart, not with pieces of it. And so I'm asking God that you would restore my heart so I could give it fully to you. I don't want, I don't want to worship idols. I don't want to put anything above you. I just want to give you my heart. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and the truth in your word tonight. We thank you for your great love for us. Lord, we understand. We understand that, Lord, there was nobody who could redeem us except you. That's why the enemy is fighting so hard to keep us from you to keep others from coming to you. But tonight, every one of us in this room, we give you our heart, Lord. We ask you to restore. We ask you to restore to to whole, God, so we can give it to you wholly. And we can say, "I, I love you with my whole heart. Take it, God. Use it. Restore us. Fill us. Father, we love you. We love you. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.